Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with the packets of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure the lords or just lords lords the lords the lords yeah and the quest salvation in the last episodes uh norhill pissed off the queen y'all were knighted he went for a nice little jog to go find a bunch of dwarves that had or at least townies from glenton gabora that had been taken away as slaves presumably by the durgar and brought back to the halls of silver and steel the party, well on their way to trying to save these people with absolutely no assistance from the queen, have made it quite a far ways down here, making it to the bottom of the mountains themselves. Uh, Norhill, however, has suffered from strange sleepy dreams where he had heard from the lord of the mountain, the uh, lord of the clan Silverstein himself, in a strange ghostly form that Norhill is actually Lord Hammerstone. And as he sipped upon the Silverstein, he awoken at this little campsite in a little gulch before the mountains. The party, however, are awakening to this wonderfully glorious spring morning. That wonderful, you know, that spring morning smell you get when it's like the first warm days of spring and you smell like the ground finally releasing. Nice and crisp. Yeah. So you guys wake up to that smell with your little cooking site getting ready, planning the next stab of operations here. So with that in mind, get to conversing. Hold on, not, not all at once. All right, take turns. Okay, okay, so Norhill is going to sketch like a rough map of the mountains from memory and point out where he thinks some of the entrances might be. Um, what can I pull up just you know, from my memories of you know, living in the home silver and steel that I think might be relatively close by and also unexpected. The closest option would be to take one of the aqueducts out here, one of the wastewater runs. Um, the danger with that is things like to crawl in there. And because that's pretty much a one-way line leading from the heart of the Dwarven Citadel, it's not like anybody has to worry about those things getting into the Dwarven Citadel, but you guys are basically like coming up through the clog drain at that point. So you're going to have to go through all the roughage to get in. But I mean, once you're in, you're in. The other options are to go through one of the main entrances to the Hall of Silver, um, which is likely going to be well guarded, knowing that this place is basically a fortress all its own. Um, 
it's going to be probably well guarded, especially since you know that they're bringing all the slaves in through that way. So it's certainly not a friendly entrance. Um, you could imagine maybe a score of like 20 or 40 people guarding the entrance if they were really hoping to guard it. Um, apart from that, you can roll me either... Shit, I'm trying to think about the best way to go about this one. I would expect you could probably do a nature or a history check for another one of these. Um, but just to carry on the ones that you do know for certain, there are also um, chimneys to some of the forges, um, but those chimneys are also kind of guarded like the, uh, the wastewater lines where there's gonna be gates that you're gonna have to go through in the chimney going down just because they don't want things climbing in through the, you know, yeah. And not to mention, if these chimneys are in use, you guys are going to be climbing through noxious smoke, gas, and vapor, as well as incredible heat, you know? So what did you get on a history check? I got a 15 on that history check. Okay. So you're also pretty aware that deep in the mountain itself, there are a strange species of bug-like critter that are known to kind of like avoid dwarves at all costs just because they don't fare well against them but these bug critters are like the size of half orcs and they are painfully aggressive when confronted but for the most part they just bother themselves with whatever the hive mind wants so there is a chance that perhaps there's an open gateway to one of these things like one of these little entrances for like fresh water or grasses or something like that on the surface but to find one of those things might be the hardest so there's a few options available, but beyond that, unless you find a way to somehow break down reinforced uh, doorways on some of the balconies, it's pretty much going to be one of those options. Yeah, so Norhill's going to go through each and every one of those options uh, with the party, you know, giving them just the straight uh, pros and cons. Uh, if you ask me, the waste aqueduct is our best bet. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. If, like, humans get alligators and crocodiles as pets and then throw them, flush them down the drain when they get too big, what do dwarves get as pets and flush down the drain when it gets too big? Anthony, do you want to tell them? Anthony, do you want to tell them? Is, is that supposed to be something specific? Uh, whoever has nature. Anthony, you can roll a history for this one as well. But if you have nature, you can roll for it as well. Uh, that's only eight on history. Uh, Non-natural 20. Okay. And then what did you get, Anthony? Eight. All right. So, Anthony, you, you're not super sure about this. You know that just critters live down there. Jarzak hearing the words wastewater and hearing about, like, garbage floating down a river, this brings up only one kind of creature that you know very well uh, to be something of a, a uh, what's it called, like a waste-eating beast known as the Otyug. And you know pretty well that if there is a trash line somewhere that's very untapped and there's sort of like a food pyramid of trash-eating monsters, the Otyug probably has made a cavernous home somewhere in the wastewater pits and likely has been run in that place. But here's another thing to consider that Jarzak would know with his wonderful 20. If this wastewater stuff only just opened up and trash has only just begun to go through, these things are probably starving. <sighs> Interesting. So uh, I'll let them know. Uh, yeah, sounds like there might be a, a yug or some 
sort of critter like that. Which, from what you know of Otyugs, I mean, they are titanic and they are very mean. And they get, carry tons of diseases and stuff. Again, it's like a trash compactor monster. It's just a giant open Pac-Man I, mouth and I mean, yeah, I don't know if any of you guys have any knowledge about them, but they don't seem all that tough to me, so... A great start. <laughs> Can I do my deception check on that lie? <laughs> yeah, by all means. Uh, does anybody else have nature? No, I don't think so. No. I got a Thank 27. <laughs> I one away from a crit. Well, I mean, I guess in that case, everybody can roll inside against it. I'm good. I got a 22. <laughs> it's still not better than a 27. All right. Well, at least you get your one charge. God. I also love how that plays out that, like, to empower the gauntlet. You lie to them about the severity of this gigantic monstrosity that lives in the sewers, and you're like, it's not that tough. Gauntlet begins to vibrate and glow. Yeah, is it like a noticeable thing that happens? It like now has a glowing gem. Okay. <laughs> Just, oh, that's weird. It always glows when you tell us something that might not be true. <laughs> Jarzak's getting all sweaty again. Uh, mm. Well, all right. I will, I will also remind people to think as well about other creative avenues. You guys have already seen slaves entering this place. So it shows that somehow the door is opening up and things are getting in, right? And I find it hard to believe that they're going in any way that would be secretive or well-guarded enough that like, how many people did they let in? You know what I mean? That you've seen? Yeah, I mean, if we can blend ourselves into a large enough group of slaves we could just walk right in but we'd have to track down a group of those slaves and then do everything in our power to stop Anton from actually trying to free them <laughs> just smashing all the logs <laughs> like what's that noise back there like free you who said that <laughs> and if they try to disarm us our cover will be blown immediately that's kind of funny too to think like all the slaves going in, they're just like checking them through. Just heavily armed group of four of them. Like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> oh man. We could just fly in. You could fly in. <laughs> I was gonna say correction. No, we 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 could fly in. I don't think you're likely to find just an open window somewhere. No, no but you might be. Just smash through one of the barricades. And Anthony Norhill knows pretty well that these uh, barricades are like sturdy, reinforced. They're like, what is it? Like wimpy dwarven made barricades? Meanwhile, the uh, orcs shouldn't a dwarf be able to smash it? Like, (laughs) you know what, Jarzak? Go ahead, try your luck against the barricade. Oh, no, 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 no. I, like, this would be for you. You know how they're made. Look, a white dragon. Hey, look, the plot just arrived. <laughs> this swipes Jarzak out of the air. I mean, could fly up, check out the chimney. There's going to be a bunch of chimneys. It's it's a matter of, like, each one of these sort of having different natural cavernous exits just, that have been adjusted. Dude. Do- you know that classic waft technique 
so you don't just fly into a chimney that's you know cooking can we play like some sarah mclaughlin when you fall into the hot chimney on accident <laughs> just we will remember <laughs> chimneys are a decent option even if some of them are going to be in use Unless there's a lot of Drogar, they probably don't have every forge lit. Right. Not to mention, if this is just an enslaved, like, captive state, you guys don't know what's going on in there, but it just seems like, I don't know, they're industrious enough, they might be trying to do work inside of there. And if they have slaves, I mean, it might make sense to put them to work. But working forges? Hard to say. Um, Clico wants to do whichever one will be the least gross so slavery well you said it not me Anton (laughs) I still think our best shot is the waste aqueduct oh yeah yeah but we, we also don't know the numbers in there numbers of what well, that's going to be a problem no matter which entrance we choose. Yeah. And from what Norhill does know of the wastewater ducts, I mean, it goes through the entirety of the whole structure of both halls. So to imagine that this sort of just leads directly to like the toilets of the floor you people lived on is that's a far fetch. So you guys might end up popping out in a cavern system. You guys might pop out in, I don't know, like the toilet system. You might pop out in an old section of the city that nobody uses anymore. Like it, it's hard to say what'll be. There's plenty of options. (laughs) I mean, uh, if we want to have like you and probably Klika go investigate the aqueducts real quick. Why does Klika have to go (laughs) in the sewers? (laughs) Uh, oh. will defer to Norhill because it's Norhill's home but she's she, uh, she should have brought more clothes I vote trying your luck with the aqueduct oh yeah we can do it Anton, what about you? I think it's agreed it'll be our... It's a way in. Yes, we'll see where it goes. But my question to Orhill is, is, I imagine there's many of these ways that we can get in through the sewers. Do you know which of, of them may be the best? I've not explored any of them myself, but I do know that the system spans the entirety of both halls, leading to everywhere there would be wastewater, uh, perhaps even some spots that have been abandoned or closed off. Maybe there'll be like a magical dragon who's made all the water clean and everything else clean. Yeah, the suds dragon. Yeah, a bubble elemental, like a like a soap dragon. <laughs> That's gross. Clico wants to meet a soap dragon. That reminds me of orange dragons. I think it's orange, the ones that like 
like stab trees and like slurp the sap out and they like shoot like sap at things that quickly harden so they get encased in like hard sticky sugar piles and they suffocate and like that's their whole thing and i'm like that that's so peculiar but i kind (laughs) of dig it and then for some i think there's something about how like the stuff they spurt out is also explosive but they don't have anything to like ignite it so if somebody used a fireball around it it just explodes michael bay style the whole forest but i mean isn't pine pitch really flammable so that checks out yeah (laughs) fucking the michael bay of dragons just Anyway, so what do we got then? Are we doing aqueducts after a long delineation here? It seems like that's what we voted for. Yeah. Uh, Norhill will hand out, you know, maybe we can find you know, some fragrant herbs or flowers or something around here so that we can, in case it smells really bad, we can I mean, have something to mitigate the smell. Remember also that in a system like this, wastewater that's going to be flooding through, you're going to have like black water, which is the water you guys are needing fragrant things for. You're also going to have a lot of gray water. So like if there are running water, if there is like a fountain or something like that, that's going to have runoff. Yeah, I'm imagining it's everything. It can't be that bad, but... Yeah, I mean, you guys would smell it over here, but... So anyway, you guys walk into the Dookie River. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But all right, so is it decided then? Sounds like it's me. All right, all right. Klika, just just this one time, you can hop up. <laughs> Jarzak puts out his arms to pick up Klika. Klika's had her f- arms up to be carried the entire time. <laughs> since, <laughs> since she gave the vote for the Aqua. Uh, I imagine just rotating between the three of yeah. us. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Up. <laughs> so I'll just throw Klika on my shoulder. <laughs> and so with that, as the uh, party begin heading towards the base of the mountains, looking for the large uh, artificial ponds and uh, small like lake that's out here at the base of the mountain, which is filled with a constantly replenishing stream of the uh, wastewater. As you guys can tell, it is rather stinky, but it seems like it's sort of boggish at this point, as if like things that live within the water have managed to kind of like tame the smell and nature kind of took its course with wastewater. You know what I'm saying? But you guys can tell that there's many trickling streams around here that lead off towards the mountain's base at different points. And following one of these, uh, you guys come across what could only be described as sort of an elevated cave mouth that's got water trickling down and something of like a lazy sort of uh, uh, brook. And the overall entrance to this place is about like I'd say about ten feet wide, about five feet tall. So it's kind of this weird ovular looking mouth there. Oh, I'm gonna crouch. How about I think me and I'm trying to look at my height? I'm definitely taller than five feet. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Me too. For sure. Norhill and Cleek are the only. Cleek <laughs> is still up, up, and just gets black <laughs> right on the top. Cleek would rather be unconscious for this. Yeah, I made. I made Anton five foot three, so he's gonna be he's gonna be like that awkward crouch where you're just just too tall. It just, you know. It's just doing one long half squat the entire yeah. work in those glutes. Well, I mean, I will say it's just the mouth that's like this. Once you get in, it expands outward a bit. Oh, 
okay. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying the overall, like, walking in, you crouch in to kind of scoop yourselves in there. That's but... fine. Jarzak's just bear crawling for the entryway. I'm just glad we're not pulling, like, a Shawshank Redemption here and just... No, no, it's not going to be like that. <laughs> and so with that uh, party walking in can tell that there's many hanging bits of moss by the entrance. There are many fungal growths all over the walls and stuff. Greasy, slimy, black, brown, and gray, mucusy, snotty-looking funguses that grow off of the various stones that stand up from the ground and the ones that hang from the ceiling. You guys can tell that there are many, many little critters that hang out here and this sort of, I would describe as almost a brackish level of daylight and cavernous this the darkness of this place. So there's ones that make a, a good bit of living eating the bugs outside and the bugs inside. You guys traveling through here, the first few steps can hear that the waves, or sorry, the uh, the brook's activity echoes off the chamber walls pretty well. And it's not deafening, but it's definitely like a wind tunnel of just water sound the whole way. So stepping through here and splashing with your boots doesn't seem to cause too much of an issue. But as you guys walk through here for about the first 10 to 15 minutes, you can tell that the chamber sort of widens out a little bit, as if at certain points in time, this chamber may have been one of the only wastewaters. And so it's eroded over time, plenty enough to sort of create a wider space at points opening up wide enough to be about 30 feet wide at the widest and the ceiling arching up to about 15 or so feet. So with stalactites, uh, stalactites and stalagmites kind of adorning the place, but like what was expected from Norhill saying so, the water level in here is very slim. And you guys can tell from the water aging, the sort of canyonish dip to the sides there, that this place was used to taking on a lot more water. And now the place is almost in like bare bones water usage. So with that in mind, after about 30 minutes to an hour of further walking into this place and climbing a constant slight elevation shift, you guys keep hearing squeaks and, and creak noises from like little bugs and carrying things that are scooting around in the darkness, splashing in the water around you, making little plunk noises as if things not being ready for you appearing uh, quickly hide. But at this point, you guys come across something of an interesting impasse as there is at the end of this stretch of tunnel a metal portcullis styled gate that has like a doggy door-ish kind of flap on the bottom half where you can see plenty of garbage has built up here. And by garbage, I mean like scraps of cloth, bits of paper and refuse. And amongst the refuse that you can tell what it is, there are bits of bone, there are bits of rusted metal and there are what appear to be like waterlogged remains. These things have been sitting here for what could be told just from the smell of it maybe months. But it looks like that just judging by like how much pressure and water pressure is necessary for this thing to actually open up and let things go further out, it looks like there's just not enough buildup for this to kind of splash open. But using you guys' combined strength, it wouldn't be too hard to lift the little doggy door flap to pull it up and climb under. Uh, you sure? I think combined <laughs> strength, we might have 30. <laughs> So what would you guys like to do now? So we managed to get to the other side. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Are you opening the doggy door flap? The doggy door flap only stretches about a foot and a half, two feet off the ground. So does it look like Klika there's is opening the doggy door flap. What? Imagine Glico will be the best candidate. Well, I'm just saying, and the flap goes across the whole way, as if like the whole bottom half of this thing will lift up as refuse builds up and close as refuse isn't there. 
sort of managing how much waste is actually in this place and how much is actually leaving. So that if there is waste to be cleaned up, it looks like somebody could have gone through this. Probably the worst job for waste management one dwarf could have down here, checking the tunnels and cleaning out the garbage. But yeah, this is sort of a way of like, if there's an oh shit amount of garbage <laughs> down here, it'll push itself through and continue so there's not a radical buildup. But for the most part, this is where the dwarves can kind of recycle and reuse. But doesn't seem like there's many dwarves down here anymore. So there's a good solid buildup. Well, when you say there's like remains and things, can we tell what the remains are of? Are they like of dwarves? Yeah, it would appear so. Just by like the bleached bones and stuff like that, the remnants of skin and whatnot. It looks like it, either that or some other humanoid. But because the skin is the mottled gray of rotten flesh, not the mottled gray of just Duergar, it looks like they must have been dwarves. I'm gonna bless it because this this is this is bad, not healthy for the dead. Anton's gonna bless it. Okay, so you say a couple prayers to the light and hope these guys found their way to dwarfy heaven. Yeah. Wherever you were, rest in peace. You'll be remembered. And so with that, who's gonna lift up this doggy flap? I think I tries it with mage hand. If it will move. Yeah, Mage Ham will be able to do it. This has got to be like a 200-pound pull, but it's spread across the whole way, so it's like 20 feet across of just like like metal gate, I guess would be the word for it. It's kind of like almost like a ladder on its side, if that helps give the image. So will we also do a strength check then? No, I mean, if somebody was strong enough, they could just lift it themselves and everybody could crawl under. Yeah, Norhill's going to try it, you know, just to see if it will. Okay. So, grasping on the bottom and lifting with his knees, he uh, squat lifts that thingy there, that deadlift of the doggy door. That's a lot of these. Um, and with that, it lifts up completely enough that everybody's got like a two-foot gap to crawl under. But as soon as you lift this up, the schlock and slat noise of all that refuse just slapping to the ground and slowly making its way with the water that's being released you can tell that this stuff is unfurling smells that you haven't smelled in a long, long time. You know, Anton's white garb is going to not be white anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Where this here? It's just breathing in a paper bag. <laughs> because just casting prestidigitation to make a different smell. Lilacs, just lots of lilacs. And so with that, I do have incense. Do you want me to like sh- take a piece of incense and like shove it up everyone's nose? I could do that. I don't feel like that's safe. I don't feel like walking through like this is safe. <laughs> that's fine. All right. So everyone scraggles underneath the thingy except for Norhill. Yeah. Then when Anton gets over, he's gonna light one of his little incense sticks and start. It's, it smells like frankincense. He's gonna start lighting his place up. No, Anton, don't like that match. Yeah, isn't this stuff explosive? <laughs> Potentially. Fireball launches out the trash pipe. So how high up does the doggy door open? Does it swing a full you know, 90 degrees so that it's up against the top? Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, Norhill is going to pull out uh, some of the chain, uh, the 10-foot chain that he has, and just you know, sort of wrap it around so that it'll hold the doggy door. Okay, and I'll even say that on the other side, you can pull it back free. So you do that, you latch it, crawl under, 
and then you get to the other side, unlatch the chain, and put it back in your bag. Okay, and so now you guys are in what appears to be a dwarvishly warped section of the under tunnels here, and you can tell that there's actually like a little setup patio of sorts, where dwarves may have at one point in time sort of like hung out and like been on trash duty. You can tell that there's a couple little apartment style stonework, like Flintstone houses that are carved out of the stonework to the walls with sort of a lifted step so that way the trash and the water can't get in. But these places are beyond ransacked and filled with, you know, refuse eaten bugs and critters and whatnot. But looking around, you can tell that the river section here looks to be more maintained and sort of like manufactured. And so uh, can I get a perception check from everybody? Nine. <laughs> Fifteen. Fifteen as well. Twenty-one. Okay, so it seems like everybody except for Norhill, right? Jarzak, you got a 15? Something yep. like that? Yep, okay. So everybody except for Norhill can hear in the distance the sound of water crashing on what sounds like a stone surface, but it's not like a rushing ton of water. It's just the sound of like water slapping on stone. You know what I mean? That sound that you get when like a bucket tips over on like a real flat surface and makes that wet slap noise that, you know what I mean? So it's not enough that it creates a cacophony of water noise. It's just the sound like a struggling stream hitting the ground. But it sounds like that's way up at the tunnel in the distance, maybe like 400, 500 feet or so. Something maybe blocking the water up ahead. And so with that, Hill is going to go up to like the little uh, apartment things and check. Maybe they have a maybe there's still a map of the under tunnel system that they have in there. Okay. And so as you look around on some of the desks, you can see that there is a piece of parchment that looks like it's very much so like musty, moldy, water worn, and it looks like it'll decay and break at the touch. You can tell that there's definitely some notes on here uh, elaborating a path that leads out of here. Um, but judging by like the penmanship on this and judging by like the overall um, uh, uh, designs on the map, this is very much so an old map. And this is not a, like a tunnel that's been maintained or used in a long, long time. So a lot of this work has been done by the doggy door essentially. So with that in mind, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to withstand you picking it up. All right. Um, I, am I able to glean anything from it other than I'm somewhere in the old tunnels? Yeah, I mean, for what you can gather for actual information of it, up ahead there is something of like a water catch where um, there's sort of like a cascading bit where a few of the different individual streams connect from different wastewater areas. But as far as the mentions go, it seems like two of the streams are dropping from too high an elevation for you guys to really make any use of it, seeming to fall through a series of like cascading little falls about like 300 to 500 feet each. And instead one section uh, seems to only fall at about 50 feet off the top. And it leads to an older district of the Dwarvish Citadel of Silver, which you know, but it's just an old, old district that even reading its name on the paper, it's just like, ancient at this point. Like nobody uses it for one reason or another. It's become decrepit. Okay. Uh, so Norhill will go uh, back up to the party and say, so roughly in that direction, there's a water catch where several tunnels, uh, where several tunnels meet and then empty out through here. Um, two of them are too high. 
but one is about 50 foot off, uh, leading to one of the old districts. So it's very unlikely that this tunnel and that area are being watched. Perfect. So with that, what's the marching order of the party at this point, walking down the tunnels? Norhill will go first. Jarzak and with Clico will go second. I'll go third. I'm just thinking about the fact, like, I'm going to have my shield, like, blowing. So when I'm going to mess with anyone's, like, vision. I was just about to ask what we were doing for light. Yeah, this whole place is completely pitch black. I assumed you're using your light shield because every time there's darkness, unless we otherwise state, I believe it's either that or the lantern. Yeah, he's just going to use the light shield for now and keep the lantern on his hip because... He doesn't want to step in something, lose his balance. He'd rather fall on a shield than his lamp. Sure. Okay. And so as the party continues down this way, about another 300 or so feet, about 200 feet in the distance, uh, those with dark vision, or at least enhanced dark vision, you can tell very clearly in the distance that there's a thick layer of like a mist formed from water slapping on stone and it being warm enough on a chilled stone surface that it kind of generates that little foggy kind of look down there. Um, but beyond that, uh, I'm going to need another perception check. Nine again. <laughs> Fourteen. Four. Eight. Okay, so 14 from Anton? Yes. All right, so you hear the sound of something slap against the ground, and it sounds like a meaty, brutal slap, as if like some big, giant, like meat. I tell the party to halt and like something's up ahead, something big. And as the party stops to listen, you guys can hear the sound of big fat slapping gums, snapping and slapping on something. And again, Jarzak, I think actually having the only enhanced dark vision in the group, uh, if you wanted to move a little bit up ahead, you could get a very good look inside the chamber. I think this goes out to 120 feet, too. Oh, okay. I didn't know you had the enhanced as well. Yeah, because of flicker. Oh, that's right. Okay. It so doubles you... my dark vision. Did you both want to go up there? I'm on Jarzak, so wherever yeah, Jarzak so... goes. Oh, fair. Uh, I didn't know if... I figured you had some autonomy in this. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Clica uh... gives up those rights when she gets carried. She gets <laughs> some grand crackers, and that's about fucking it. Yeah. So... Uh, if you guys want to make it dark back here, uh, me and Cleeks are gonna go look ahead. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my, I'm gonna get close to Norhill and then lower the light on the shield and just kind of try not to have panic attack. <laughs> yeah, uh, Norhill will cover Anton, taking the dodge action on each of his turns until we hear back. Okay. So Jarzak and Kliga move ahead until they're about 120 or so feet away. And you guys can see now that there is water trickling off a couple of, I mean, sorry, a trio of different waterways and slapping on the ground. But the most important feature of this at the end of this big giant sort of cylindrically shaped tube at the end of it, um, where the water seems to flow down the way you guys are headed, you can see that there's definitely a pair of 
three-legged, massive, fleshy beasts with a few tentacles on each of their backs, swinging them around. And they seem to be snarfing on some sort of meat. And they seem to be sort of lashing and smacking each other with tentacles to grab whatever scraps they can get. Uh, with that, we're going to go back to the group and let them know. Norhill should go ahead. <laughs> but, okay. And so you make it back to the group. Uh, yeah, so there's there might be more critters than, than, you know, just the one I mentioned earlier. So These are definitely the Atyogi were um, Oh, they, they are? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... You know how I said, like, oh, no, no problem, nothing to work. Because, but if there's more than one, that becomes more of a problem. It's a synergy thing. Uh, yeah, because, you know, good old pack hunters, they, uh, <laughs> it's not going to be a good time, but there are a couple up ahead that we're going to have to deal with. Anton, Anton, you could, you could turn the light back on. Turn the shield back on. I am crouched in a fetal position behind my shield. Uh, <laughs> it's too dark down here. Then Anton realizes she wasn't standing anywhere near nor hill. Do you think it would be possible to distract them long enough to get brushed to get by? I mean, they're both big enough. It seems like they're hungry, but they're all big enough that like getting through here is going to be very difficult. You know, like they're all so big enough and with the tentacles flaring around that to be able to pull their attention somewhere to get them out of your way is going to be tricky. But you do know some context clues of how they might be feeling. Yeah. Did Jarzak share that they're probably hungry and starving? Or because all he said was they might be there and they're not a problem. And now he said they are a problem. Because there's two, there's two of them. Okay. So we don't uh, we don't know. They, I think I think they might just be hungry. Um I mean if this these are both like the size of hippos with some large trees growing out of their back. If they haven't if like food hasn't been coming down here much because you know the city's not in as much use, then yeah, they might they I just need to eat. You know well, what? Uh, let's go give them a snack. <laughs> okay, Klika. You you ready to get down? Or are you coming yeah, on this adventure I mean, with me? I mean, we could... Klika could go up ahead and try and sneak a little further away from the um, wall we're going to be trying to climb and put down some rations and then use some magic to make it smell good and maybe they'll come over to investigate and then Klika can just sneak off while they're eating and we can try and get up before they finish worth a try is this the plan I think so uh, based off the the soft twenty I got, uh, would I be able to know if they they can see in darkness, right? I assume from them living in darkness. Okay. 
Yeah, they have eyeballs in their tentacles. What about magical darkness? Uh, No, doesn't seem so. Most things can't. Can they smell in darkness? Because that's integral to the plan. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Not my smell. (laughs) My smission. I have night scent blindness. Um, But yeah, you don't know that they have any sort of a scent ability to them. It seems like they smell just as much as anything else does. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, so Clico will... So if I'm getting the room right, it's a cylinder. There's three sort of areas that water is pouring down from and we're trying to climb up one of those correct the smallest of the water yeah okay the cylinder is 60 feet wide at its widest point okay so Kika would like to try and get to the point furthest from uh the 50 foot wall as long as that isn't literally directly where they're standing right now they seem to be together on the left hand side and which side is the one we're trying to climb? Directly across, so in the middle. Okay. Um, yeah, so Klika is going to have you guys move towards the right-hand side and sort of try and skirt along the wall towards the middle while Klika moves in the opposite direction counterclockwise. Or you guys are going to be counterclockwise, and I'll be going clockwise towards them to get their attention mm-hmm. and put down some food and then hopefully meet back up with you guys. Uh, we'll and... say again, their stature, they're like hippo sized each. So yeah. them rations, which are like lunchable bags. I just want it known that feeding them scraps, it's, it's keeping in mind that you look like a much bigger meal than a lunchable does. Yeah. The plan is for them not to see me at all. So are you blinking? No, but I'm going to try and stealth. Fair enough. Okay. Um, and then I feel like there's something else I had to say. Uh, Anton, uh, you might need to get back to the darkness again. <laughs> you, I, we'll conga line it. You can hang on to me and Norhill. Okay. Okay. Noah, Noah Anton just says, wait a minute, and he takes out his rope. And he ties, he kind of does like a middle thing, like he's tied in the middle and he ties one in Snorhill and one in Jarzak, and he's like, this will at least make it a little bit easier, I think. Actually, um, uh, Jarzak, would you be able to cast Fly on Klika too? Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you if you want to clean off my hand before I touch you and put you down. <laughs> with that he just it's I already assume, clean yeah <laughs> as, as he goes up to touch click uh, i assume click instantly cast press the digitation on it and then he just taps click and click it can fly now that was, that was gonna be my plan that or darkness but darkness is not a big range so fair enough all right yeah so click is gonna try and sort of fly while they're making their way over towards the middle, fly closer to these creatures while staying above where their sightline might be. I know it's on their tentacles and those are flailing around, but it is also misty. So I was going to say, oh, those tentacles can reach about 10 feet off their bodies and they seem about seven or so feet off the ground. So they reach quite a ways up. Yeah, it's just mostly 
where they'd be looking. Just, sure, sure, sure. But you did describe them as flailing. So, um, and then Klika's gonna pull out uh, like a handful of rations out of her bag uh, and drop uh, like probably spread out like four of them on the ground about 10 feet apart each and then fly up and just uh, huck one at somewhere near them and then try and hopefully they'll head to where it was thrown from find the four rations and Kliga can meet up with these guys and they'll figure it out okay so um, as long as everybody else is okay with that idea. Let's make it seven rations on the ground to be safe. I will say also that even coming this close to this chamber and looking out there with the dark vision, flight would be necessary to get up there just because it's 50 foot straight down. It's not like there's a ladder or a climbable surface. This is like a well-scaled, I mean, uh, sorry, a well-eroded uh, uh, room to the point that it's it's like slate walls. So... Instead of just having Klika fly, do uh, do we want to maybe have other people fly who can carry people like Klika, or even just toss a rope down? Yeah, I mean, I, I only have one more spell, so I could just use both for fly. And well, uh, we can wait for Klika to come back. Um, we'll is there up. a grappling hook in amongst the climbing gear that I spent all that money on? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna you know prepare a rope with a grappling hook so that Klika can fly up and attach. Okay. All right. So yeah, Klika has the rope bandoliered around her, with the grappling hook, and then yeah, waits for everyone to try and sort of get in position and then kick the plan off. Okay. So I imagine first Klika would zip right up above their level and start tossing the rations closer to the wall so they kind of turn and go over towards that side of it. Right. And so as you enter that chamber there and um, start to toss them in, the two of them seem to be very much so alarmed by your presence. And all of a sudden hearing that and sniffing at the air, their big giant stocky tentacles slowly wreathe up almost like brontosaurus necks in your general direction and start to like, in, like inflame and shrink as if sniffing at the air in a way. And the tentacles open up their big leaf-like little flails at the end with the spines opening up and a mucus-like like sort of strings in between them. And you see three beady red eyeballs in each and every one of those. And the things just start scoping around looking for the food. And they start just kind of like nomming like hungry, hungry hippos at the sloshing water in there. The water inside this chamber, now that you're like actually in it, um, it looks like there's almost like a dip as if the cylinder goes in like a foot or so. And it sort of has almost like kind of a threshold with which the water will start to flow down that stream. But as you guys step into like a foot deep of water, um, you make it around counterclockwise to the right side around to the edge where that uh, 50 foot high spot is. Um, but as the food falls into there and you toss it in there like that, Klika, uh, you feel a mental intrusion as this happens. And just to clarify, you have the rope and the grappling hook, right? Correct. And so your plan is to sort of stab it into a safe place that the grappling hook can latch onto or like tie it around something with the hook and then have yeah. the rope dangle down. Yeah, so they can climb up. 
right. So you feel a mental intrusion come to you and it seems like it can only be coming from one place. And as you sort of sit here floating, tossing the stuff in, you notice that one of the tentacles is aimed directly at you as if all three eyeballs peering at you like security goggles. Doesn't seem like either of the Otyugs at this point are even concerned with the sloshing party running behind you. Um, but as the Otyug's eyes seem to glaze over you, the mental intrusion asks the question, who, as it sort of echoes through your mind, as more of a concept rather than a word. Klika thinks, hi, I'm Klika. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, two eye stalks, one of them comes from the other one, and both Otyugs have a single eye stalk gleaming at you as other eye stalks are slapping into the water and picking up the rations and slugging them into their big, giant, gaping, stench-filled mouths. Um, and as both of the eye stalks seem to be gaggling at you, just kind of floating there looking at you, one of them says, of the stars. And the other one says, she is here. Um, yeah, that's Klika. Child of destiny. And so with that, they both just kind of like weirdly loom back towards the ground and start to go back for more of the food and seem to be bothered more by the fact that their food is small than your people being in here. And so Klika, having felt strange reverberations in her brain of a psionic telepathic nature, you feel a weird sense of like understanding of language beyond language and at this point in time, you now are considered proficient with every language once per day for an hour. And so <laughs> with that, you just tap into this strange telepathic understanding that like, you know, language is a funny thing. As long as you just fake understanding it, you kind of get it. So yeah. for an hour a day, you can understand and speak any language. So is that like once it starts, it's consecutive or is it? An hour could be spursed out between... Consecutive. It's almost like okay. you tap into that mental facility. But with that, you just kind of like sit here almost as if your brain just got like inverted and pushed back to normal. And you're just sitting there like a complete revelation on what language means as you sit here. As No, if I'm floating. And so I, I'm just... not focusing on that. So now, yeah, Click is just doing the sort of zero-G gyroscope around as her mind opens up in ways she never believed it could meanwhile jarzak and to norhill are standing there below the opening like hey Klika, what the fuck yeah <laughs> I, I, is Klika far spawn, enough where, but... where nobody can see her but jarzak or can uh norhill see her with his dark vision as well yeah you guys can see i mean i don't imagine you're flying so high up that you can't be seen so. okay <laughs> so everyone's just watching Klika just sort of like she was doing good she was throwing the rations then she just stopped looked directly at some red orbs they can see, and then just started floating around a little aimlessly. Uh, so I think after a second, Klika will sort of shake that off, look over at the party, give them a thumbs up, and then go and find some place to latch the uh, grappling hook to. And climbing up into that upper cavern, you can see a few of these uh, sort of stonework columns at midpoints at the entrance to this little dropping fall of water. And you can tell that these things are very sturdy and well capable of holding onto the grappling hook. And so you droop it down over the edge and the party are able to comfortably climb up as the Otyug, apparently neither of them even begin to pursue the party at all. As if sitting there and the stocks, whoever goes up last, the stocks kind of like follow you up and seem to sniff at your zone there. And the red eyeballs seem to dart around looking you guys over. 
for what it's I mean, worth. While Klika's waiting for everyone to climb up, she's going to throw some spices and stuff on two more of her rations and then toss them down when everyone's done getting up. And you feel another mental reverberation that says, blessed be the stars. Who would have known Odyug had such important things to say if you just listened to him? See, because I told you not a problem. I, I, <laughs> thought, two, I thought it was two there, but uh, I guess there's still not a problem in a pack. Oh, my bad. Three, don't get me started on fucking three. But that the party followed this series of ducts here um, down this passage for another what appears to be maybe like a quarter mile of twisting turns climbing upward. But again, these this series of hall is dotted with more of these um, pillars and columns sort of dotting the landscape. But finally, the exit you guys see up ahead seems to be a section of like cave wall that's been like smashed and battered in as if a column may have smashed through the stonework wall as it is. And so up ahead, you can see a column that just seems to like smash straight through the wall, leading directly open into what appears to be a massive open like cave section. An unexpected exit. And by the way, Klika, uh, you cannot speak. Um, so at this point, the oh good, yeah. At this point, the party peep through that little entryway there. Uh, uh, before uh, I do, though, can I just chat? to make sure that the stonework seems safe and not you know, about to you know, collapse in on our heads. Yeah, these are definitely a different kind of um, uh, uh, stonework column. These ones look to be almost reinforced with like metal rebars as if this section may have been used with like nets to catch excess garbage and stuff as well. But these things are no longer really in use for that. So it seems like it's all sturdy enough. Whatever fell in the other chamber came from the other chamber. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as you guys peep through and look, you guys see something that's very much so reminiscent of what you guys saw in Boltzcrag Peak. And as you peek your little heads out of this little, uh, this little hole in the wall here, you guys can see a bunch of small homes that all seem to be kind of in this network of like a little neighborhood. But the stonework of the ceiling seems to connect to them as if the whole place is sort of like sandwiched together. You know what I mean? With ceiling and roof meeting with all the buildings kind of carving out, making little network lanes here. And judging by the stonework you guys can see on the ground and the runes on the ground, um, everybody's been through Boltzcrag Peak. So this neighborhood is actually a gnomish neighborhood, though it seems like there's not a single person to be found within it, or I guess not a single gnome. But with that, we're going to end the episode. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognar here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>